God's word. Let's turn for a few moments uh, to that word ourselves uh, to hear what God has to say to us. And we're going to be looking this morning at Romans chapter 5. And we'll pick it up in verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. And uh, we'll be going down to uh, chapter 6 and verse 2. Now, uh, the Bible itself is clear that there are some parts of Scripture that are hard to understand. Uh, Peter writes about this in one of his letters saying, you know, some of the things that Paul said, they're, they're pretty difficult to get your mind around. And some people uh, twist them and distort them in, in, uh, in destructive ways. But it's also true that some of the parts of the Bible that ought to be clear sometimes confuse us. And uh, this passage in, in Romans 5 and 6 addresses one of those issues. There, Paul asks a question that goes something like this. Should we keep sinning in order to get more grace? Should we keep sinning in order to get more grace? Now, we know the Bible says, right, that if we sin, that God's grace can overcome that sin, right? We've sung about this, that this, this morning, right? We know that God's grace is greater than all of our sin, as one of the hymns says, right? So we know that if we sin, then there's more grace to cover our sin. And so someone might say, well, if every time I sin, I get grace from God to forgive me of my sin, then why don't I sin more so that I can get more grace? Because grace is good. Right? Uh, surely I want more grace. And if I get more grace, the more often I sin, then maybe the more I sin, the better I'm doing because then I get more grace. And doesn't it bring glory and honor to God to give grace to people? I mean, God is honored when he forgives. God is honored when he pours out grace. And so that sounds like a win-win. I sin. God gives me grace. He gets glory. It's good for me. It's good for him. What does it make sense about that? Well, it's somewhat instinctively, we all know there's something wrong with that, right? But can you put your finger on what it is? What is it that makes that logic, quote unquote, uh, wrong or a, a false, uh, a false logic? Ask yourself this question. You might be, you might say, well, of course, that's a wrong way to think about it. Of course, we shouldn't sin more so that we get more grace. But if you're honest with yourself, haven't you ever, in a moment of temptation, thought, you know, if I give in, I could just ask God to forgive me, and then it'll be fine. And, you know, doesn't that honor God in the long run anyway, if I get forgiven? Don't you think there might be somebody out there somewhere this morning who shows no outward sign of being a Christian almost never darkens a church door, but somewhere inside of him he knows he ought to be in church hearing from God. And every Sunday morning he feels guilty about the fact that he's not there, but he comforts himself by saying to himself, you know, it really doesn't matter as long as I ask forgiveness, right? I mean, after all, we're not saved by works. So why do I need to go to church? Why do I need to read the Bible? Why do I need to pray? This is a, uh, a problem, right, that we all face. We all are tempted to think this way, even if we know it's not the right way to think. So what is the right way to think? 
What ought we to think about our uh, relationship to sin? How ought we to think about sin and temptation if we're Christians? Why is that way of thinking that we should sin more in order to get more grace? Why is that way of thinking wrong? That's what we're going to see in Romans 5, verses 20 through chapter 6, verse 2. So let me begin reading for us in verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. He says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So here's what's going on. Paul has been telling us in Romans chapter 5, he's been telling us that all of humanity, all of us find ourselves in one of two camps. Either you are in Adam, which is where you are by default, being born into this world as a man. You are in Adam, and from Adam you get sin and corruption and condemnation and death because of his sin and his fall in the garden. Or, if you have turned from your sin to Christ, then you are now in Christ, and in Christ you get forgiveness, you get justification, you're declared righteous by God, you get uh, life, and life forever. Right? Those are the two camps, those are the two teams, those are the two representatives, and all of us are either in one or the other. And Paul tells us that as a way to sort of sum up, really, the whole story of the Bible. We start with Adam and the fallout of his sin, and then you move forward to Jesus and his coming, his death and resurrection, and the, the blessings and promises that secures for all those who trust in Christ. But Paul seems to have left out a big part of the story of the Bible, which is the part where people were under the law, where God gave the law to Moses, and the law was operative in Israel, and the law even came to many of the Gentiles as Jewish synagogues were built all throughout the Roman Empire. What about the law? Where does it fit into all of this? Paul says in verse 20 that the law came in after Adam. The law came in to increase the trespass. And that's not normally how we think about the law, right? We think laws are there to curb sin, right? Not to increase sin. So what does Paul mean when he says that the law came in to increase the trespass? Well, we know that God does not want people to sin more, right? God is opposed to sin. That's just obvious on the surface. So in what sense would he give a law that was intended to increase the trespass, increase trespasses? Well, um, it's a little difficult to pin this down, right? But if we think about it, there are a couple of ways we could explain this. We know by experience, right? and surely God knew this as well since he knows us better than we know ourselves, we know by experience that when someone tells us not to do something, often that is uh, motivation enough for us to try to do it. Right? Um, I don't know if I've told this story before. Sarah used to work for um, 
a, uh, a preacher and, and writer in the Metroplex, and um, he told a story about when uh, his son was growing up. He had his, his son had a bunch of friends over for a birthday party, and uh, he gathered all the boys together to give them a little talk before they went outside to play. And he told them, he said, you guys can go out there and have fun, play, have a good time, but whatever you do, don't you dare spit in my wife's flower beds. And then he sat on the other side of the window inside the house and he watched as boy after boy snuck up to the flower bed and spit. Wouldn't have done that. Wouldn't have even thought about it if he hadn't told them not to, right? So in one sense, the law came in to increase the trespass because as soon as the law says, don't do this, there's something in our sinful, rebellious hearts that says, that's exactly what I'm going to do, right? So sin increased as the law came in because the law aggravated that sinful nature that was already there inside of us. Right? Or Paul might just simply be saying that when the law came, it increased the trespass because the law drew a clear line that said, this is what's wrong, this is what's right. There's a sense in which we had a, a general idea of what was wrong and what was right before the law came, especially about some of the clearer things. Right? But when the law came in and said, don't do this, do that, then it was even more clear what was a trespass, what was a sin, what was, what was wrong. And so sin increased in that sense because it was clearer what sin was. I mean, if you walk up to a fence that's not yours, you better have a pretty good idea that you probably ought not to jump it. But if there's a no trespassing sign on it, you know you're not supposed to. But you might anyway, right? That's kind of how the law works. You might have known you shouldn't have done that, but when the law comes in, it removes all doubt. Either way, Paul says the sin came in and increased the trespass, but he says where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So even though there was more sin, either more clarity about sin or more numerous sins, however you want to interpret that, as sin increased, God's grace abounded even further. Now remember... Um, with sin, Paul's been reminding us in chapter 5, with sin comes death and condemnation. But grace is able to give life and justification and forgiveness. And so as sin increased, and with the increase of sin comes more death, comes more condemnation, comes slavery, Paul even say in chapter 6. As all of that increases, when he says grace abounded all the more, what he's saying is as the grace of God came in, all the havoc that sin was wreaking in people's lives, that was more than overcome as God's grace abounded and raised the spiritually dead to life and transformed them and forgave them and empowered them to live lives that please God. So sin does not have the last word. Sin with all its power is not the most powerful force at work in the world. The grace of God abounded above and beyond the power of sin. That's what Paul is saying. So the more there was sin, the more grace came in. And then he says in verse 21 that grace reigned. Right As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when Adam sinned and brought death into the world, death reigned. 
right? We see this in the book of Genesis, that everybody died. Enoch was the exception, right? Because God took him. But aside from that, everybody died. It wasn't just that Adam died because Adam sinned, but everybody died because now everybody sins because of Adam's sin. And so that reign of death came into the world through Adam's sin. But Paul says, just as sin reigned in death, so now, through the grace of God that has come through Jesus Christ, grace reigns through righteousness, the gift of righteousness that God gives us when we turn to Christ. We're declared righteous, our sins are forgiven, and God's grace begins to reign in our life instead of sin reigning in our life. Again, Paul is encouraging us with the truth that God's grace is more powerful than sin. Grace triumphs. Grace reigns. Grace abounds over sin and death. Grace brings righteousness and life for everyone who belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, that is the reason why Paul knows somebody is going to ask this question in verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If the more sin increased, the more grace abounded, why not sin more? If we're saved by grace through faith apart from works, then why do we need to do good works? Why not just keep sinning so we get more grace and more forgiveness? There are people, right? There are people who this gospel of salvation by grace through faith, of justification by faith in Christ, there are people that this gospel makes them nervous. Because they are thinking, if you tell people that, If you tell people that they don't have to earn their salvation, that God will just give it to them if they turn to Him and believe, if you tell people that the way to be righteous, the way to be right with God is just to repent and trust Jesus and then God will wipe out all of your sin and declare you righteous. If you tell people that, you know what's going to happen? They're just going to sin and live however they want and think that everything's fine. That's what people that, that that's what they're going to do, Paul, if you preach that message. That Paul knew there were people out there thinking that, knew that some of us might be thinking that. And so he raises this question that he knows is going to come up in some people's minds. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Because there is a certain logic to that question. Right? There is a certain, you know, on paper that kind of makes sense. More sin, more grace. You know, you can kind of picture somebody drawing out the graph. Okay, so more sin, more grace. Keep sinning, keep getting more grace. I mean, that just looks like a win-win, right? But here's the thing. You might think that that makes sense on paper, right? The more grace abounds, or the more sin abounds, the more grace we get. So why wouldn't we keep sinning in order to get more grace? It might seem to fit somewhere um, in your mind, but here's the thing that many of us can testify to. When you experience that grace, when you believe that gospel, the last thing you are thinking at that moment is, man, I hope this means I can sin some more. When you taste that grace... 
you're not thinking about what else you can get away with. You're thinking about what you are getting free from. Right, so when Paul raises that question, right, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means, absolutely not. You've got to be kidding me. That's a ridiculous question. No, we don't sin more so that we can get more grace. And anybody who has tasted this grace can tell you that's not what this grace does. This gospel of forgiveness in Christ, of righteousness granted to those who believe in Christ, it does not encourage people to sin more. It sets them free from sin so that they can sin less. And when you come to Christ for this grace, that's what you're wanting. Right? When you really believe the gospel, right? when, you, when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus, usually by the time you get to that point, you've had about enough of sin. Right? You're sick of your sin. You're sick of not being able to get loose from it. You're sick of the guilt that it brings upon you. You're sick of the way it's wrecking your life and your relationships and everything else, and you want to get away from sin, and grace is uh, the power that God gives to set you free. Right? So no, we don't sin so that we can get more grace. That's absolutely not how it works. Now, why does Paul use such um, strong language here? Right? Why does he say, by no means? May God forbid it. Absolutely not should we sin so that grace may abound. A couple reasons why he uses such strong language. He doesn't just say, well, now that's a slight misunderstanding. Let's, you know. No, he says, no way. No way does that mean that. Why does he use such strong language? One, one reason is this. Any understanding of the gospel that promotes or makes you feel comfortable with sin is a misunderstanding of the gospel. Right? For somebody to ask this question, Paul knows that they have missed something they should have gotten in the gospel that he's preaching. If somebody can ask this question, it's because they've, they've not understood the, the gospel correctly. Right? Um, Jesus died... Not only to forgive us of our sin, but to set us free from sin. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So not only did he die to forgive our sin, he died to set us free from sin so that we could live a life of righteousness, not so that we could go on comfortably living in our sin. That's not why he died. So if Paul's teaching about grace and justification and forgiveness puts you at ease about your present sin as if it's no big deal, you have misunderstood what Jesus came to do. I know it is true Right? That if you sin and you turn from your sin, you confess your sin to God, He will forgive you. Right? And He wants you, He doesn't want you to keep wallowing in guilt and shame once you've confessed your sin. That, that's true. 
But he doesn't want you to think, well, it's not a big deal if I give in to this temptation. It's not a big deal if I sin, because after all, Jesus died to cover all my sin, past, present, and future. It's already covered. Why not indulge it? You ought not to be able to think like that if you've really understood why Jesus came to die, if you've really turned to Jesus, if you've really received his grace. Right? We ought not to be able to think of sin in those terms. We ought to be at war with sin. We ought to be resisting temptation because our hearts have been not only cleansed from our sin, but changed so that we are no longer captive to sin. So that's one reason. Any understanding of the gospel that promotes sin is a misunderstanding of the gospel. And then here's the second reason. This gospel of grace and righteousness and life is also a gospel of death. And this is something that we often miss, but that Paul expects us to understand. Look at verse 2 again. When he says, by no means, by no means should we sin more so that we get more grace. He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Did you know that if you're a Christian... When you became a Christian, not only did you experience new life, you also experienced death. We often talk about the life part of it. We don't talk about the death part as much. But that's what Paul is saying here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If we are in Christ, and he's going to expand on this more later in chapter 6. If we are in Christ, there is a real sense in which we have died to sin. I heard one pastor um, say it like this one time. He said, um, Jesus didn't die so we could live. Jesus died so we could die. He lived so we could live, but he died so we could die. He died so that we could die to sin. He died so that our old life, where we were enslaved to sin, where we couldn't help but sin, where we were driven and dominated by sin, He died so that that old life would come to an end. So that on the other side of that, we could have a new life, where we have new desires, we're free from sin as a slave master, that now we are able to love God and to obey God from the heart. And we couldn't do that until we died. And the only reason we could die was because Jesus died for us and we died with him. And he rose from the dead for us and we've been raised to new life with him. And if you think about the gospel in those terms, you see that it makes absolutely no sense to start asking questions about how much sin you can get away with. You see that it makes absolutely no sense to think that this gospel is going to make people comfortable with sin, make people more likely than... To give in to sin. That's not how this gospel works. And so it might be helpful to, to think about to think about this in, in terms of a, a contrast in how we think about the gospel, right? So this is this is not how the gospel works. This is not how the gospel works. The gospel does not work like this. You are a sinner, you're always going to be a sinner. God has a problem with sin. So if you say you're sorry about your sin, and you get baptized, get immersed in this water, God won't worry about your sin anymore, and you don't have to worry about it either. You can go on as you always have, without worrying about the consequences for your sin. After you die, you're going to be fine. 
There's a lot of people that think that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. Paul would not recognize that as gospel. John would not recognize that as gospel. Jesus would not recognize that as gospel. Right? This is how the gospel works. You are a sinner and God has a problem with sin. But Jesus died not only to forgive you of your sin, but also to set you free from sin and give you a new life. If you reject sin and receive Jesus, even though you're still tempted to sin and often will fail and commit sin, you will still no longer be under sin's power. But you will have a life where you are able to say no to sin by the power of the Spirit. And not only will you not have to worry about being judged for your sin after, after you die, you can begin to live a life where you say no to sin even now. That's the gospel that Paul is preaching. Right? And if we leave off that part about dying to sin, right? if we leave off that part about having a new life, right? where you have been transformed, where you have been set free, if we leave that off, we, have, we are selling the gospel short. We are cutting out a significant part of the message that is truly good news. The gospel is more radical than most people realize. It is not just a pass to heaven. Uh, it is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is not just a, you know, you don't have to worry about your sin now, permission slip. It is a matter of life and death, not only in the future, but also in the present. To think that the gospel gives you a license to sin is to prove that you have not yet understood the gospel as you ought. To hope that the gospel gives you a license to sin is to prove that you don't yet want what the gospel gives. And to long not only to be forgiven of your sin, but to be given the power to live differently than you have been living is to long for what you truly need and what God gives to those who turn to Christ by grace through faith. Not only forgiveness and justification, but also new life. What we are to hunger for and thirst for is not only pardon that removes our guilt and condemnation, but also the grace that gives us new life, new loves, and a new relationship with God. That's what the gospel gives us. Let's pray.